May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always accepted when you are sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, some of you might know last night was um, Hudson football playoff game that I went to. No, I don't have a cold. I was just yelling at this one referee who was right there in front of me who could not somehow see the game the same way that I saw it. And so um, I lost a little bit of voice. The guy who was sitting next to me, my friend Alan Motter, I told him, you know, I think you'll have to come preach at my church tomorrow. He said, I'll be there. And lo and behold, he's not. So um, here we have it. Three men stood before a judge on a charge of disorderly conduct. The judge asked the first man, what were you doing in the park on the day that you were arrested? The man answered, I was just throwing peanuts in the pond. Huh, the judge says. Seems innocent enough. The second man says, and what were you doing in the park the day that you were arrested? He said, I too was just throwing peanuts in the pond. Huh, the judge said. It's interesting. He looks at the third man and he says, And sir, I suppose you too were just throwing peanuts in the pond. The third man said, no sir, I am peanuts. (laughs) Took a minute, some of you, I don't get it. 18-year-old Austin Whaley found out earlier this year that the First Amendment to the United States Constitution that guarantees the freedom of speech does not guarantee you the freedom to say whatever you want. He and his friends thought it would be good fun to go into the local bingo hall, hang around for a few minutes, and then shout out, Bingo! As they did this, um, people started to groan and moan, thinking that they had lost. And and someone turned around and realized that these kids were snickering in the back and that none of them had actually gotten a bingo. Just one of them yelled it out. And so you don't want to do this in the Covington, Kentucky bingo parlor. Um... The senior adults who were gathered there were a bit angry about it and uh, began to get a little bit rowdy and they started yelling stuff and obscenities and whatnot, so much so that the police had to be called. And young Austin was defiant. I can say whatever I want to say. And he was arrested for disorderly conduct. He went before the judge. The judge levied a fine against him and said, as part of your sentence, you may not utter the word bingo in public for the next six months. Not on the street corner, not in a, in a department store, nowhere for the next six months. I don't know if you can actually do that. But this was his, his sentence. It turns out you cannot simply say whatever you want. And I know that, I remember myself discovering this. A lot of young people, uh, when, they, when they get to some point in their life, discover that freedom of speech does not mean that you can say whatever you want. You can't, for instance, go into a crowded theater and yell fire can't walk through a concourse of an airport and say, I have a bomb. I mean, that would be disastrous. And you cannot go into the local VFW on a Wednesday night and yell bingo if you don't have a bingo. I mean, the latter being the most serious offense, probably. There are a lot of things that you cannot do in a free society. You cannot hunt wild game whenever you feel like it. You cannot walk down the middle of the street. You can't sit in your driveway in your underwear. That's what I'm told. I don't know this from personal experience. You cannot impersonate a police officer. It's against the law. can't make loud noises at night. All things that you're not allowed to do, even though we live in a free society. In Louisiana, 
It is against the law to gargle in public. <laughs> you think I'm making this up, don't you? I'm not. In Tennessee, it's illegal to fish with a lasso. And in Washington State, it's illegal to purchase a mattress on Sunday. I don't know why, but these things really are um, on the books because people have discovered somewhere along the way that these must have worked that freedom does not mean you have freedom to do whatever you want. Your exercise of liberty cannot impose upon someone else's exercise of liberty. And civil and free societies have decided long ago that your liberty cannot cause disorder to the rest of society's liberty. And in some way, this is what St. Paul is talking about in Second Thessalonians chapter 3. You know that I have said the last couple of weeks, that 1 and 2 Thessalonians are among some of the most ancient documents that we have. They're some of the earliest letters that Paul wrote. Any, and, and earliest letters that were written in the New Testament. All of the Gospels came later. All of the New Testament comes after 1 and 2 Thessalonians were written. And so these are some of the earliest documents to Christian communities, and in particular the Christian community in Thessalonica. And you can see as you read through these two letters that the church was struggling. Churches struggle from time to time with various things. It happens. Perhaps it might be news to you, but it does happen. It, that was a joke too. It, it comes. You know, there are times when Christian communities struggle with one thing or another. And if you read through the letters of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, you'll see that the Thessalonians struggle with a number of things. One is persecution. Actual physical persecution. Some of them were beaten some of them were, were jailed. People lost their jobs because they decided to follow Jesus and um, give up on a pagan way of life. They struggled with this. And because of that, Paul writes in his letter to deal with this issue. They struggled to embrace Judeo-Christian morality when it came to area of, of human sexuality. They had lived in a pagan lifestyle where sex was viewed as a normal appetite without any moral consequence. And so they lived in this way, and when, when they became Christians, and Paul uh, encouraged them, more than encouraged, commanded them to embrace a holiness way of life, it was difficult for them. And so he writes in this letters to address that. We know these things because, they're actually in the letters, but there's a third issue, and this seems to be a pressing issue for the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. The, the, the Thessalonians were struggling with what Paul calls the parousia. The second coming of Jesus. And in two ways they struggled. They struggled, I think, mentally with great anguish. You know, when will it happen? Did it already happen? Did we miss it? There were people who really thought this, that they had missed the second coming. Jesus had come back, returned, and they were left out. And they, they simply were, were left on their own. And so Paul addresses those issues. But there was a second issue. And it's sort of more, a, a more root problem. And that is that some people began to quit their jobs... And just sit around and wait for Jesus to come back. And they decided that they would just live off of the other people who were who were still working, and they would just uh, they would just wait. They they thought that the return of Christ was so imminent, so soon to happen, that they no longer needed to work or do anything. That's where Paul picks us up. Take your your bulletin, will you, and look with me at at verse six, the very first verse in our New Testament lesson today. Paul writes these words. Now we command you, notice that strong language, command. We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Now here's where it's a little tricky. The word translated idleness really means disorder. And since it's an adverb, you would put it this way, anyone who is living a disorderly life, who lives disorderly. In fact, that's how the old King James, the the translation of 1611, translates it. Listen to this. This is from the, the King James. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. Walketh disorderly. To live in a disorderly manner. Uh, The New American Standard does a similar thing. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life. Well, what does Paul mean by disorderly or unruly? Is he saying that we should stay away from all Christians who yell bingo when they most definitely do not have a bingo? I mean, is that what he's saying? Is he saying that we should stay away from Christians who sit in their driveway in their underwear? That probably is a good idea, but that's not what he's talking about here, right? It is a good idea, by the way. Right? <laughs> stay away from those people. No, that's not what he means, because you can see it in the rest of the plane. In the rest of the passage, Paul sets this word disorderly, translated idleness in the, New, in the English Standard Version. He, he sets it against, he comp- contrasts it with working. Idleness, unruliness, disorderliness is contrasted with with, with industriousness, with work. Verse 7, the second verse, look at this. You yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not idle. Again, same word. We were not disorder. We were not unruly. um, When we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But, here's the advertisement, the, the contrast, but with toil, the, the word here is with work. It, it, it's um, as workers. It, it's, a, it's a participle. As working ones. But as working ones and labor, a synonym right here, we worked night and day. We were workers who worked and worked hard <laughs> night and day. You get the contrast, right? We weren't disordered. We weren't idle. We were workers. This is how you know that imitate us. He does it again in verse 10. If anyone is not willing to work, that is to be a worker, let him not eat. No work, no eat. (laughs) Verse 11, the next one. We hear that some of you walk in idleness. Again, disorderliness. Uh, Unruliness. Some of you... Walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. You're not working. You're disordered. You're unruly. <laughs> You're idle. Paul contrasts the, the disordered life with the life of work. And he won't buy into any false piety. He won't allow somebody to say, Oh, it's my devotion to Jesus that caused me to quit my job and stay home. No! Paul says, no, 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 no. And you Christian brothers and sisters who kept your jobs and keep working, don't you dare give that guy who quit his job anything to eat. Notice he called them brothers, right? Unruly brothers. Members of the church. 
Don't support that. Do not enable that bad behavior. If someone isn't willing to work, they shouldn't eat. And Paul seems to think that hunger is a great motivator to get people to work. <laughs> If you're hungry, you might get out and do something. And so do not enable bad behavior. Now, you can see, I mean, you're way ahead of me here, aren't you? You can see, hey, this is good stuff for teaching a work ethic. I'm going to get, hey, let's get to the Sunday school and we'll tell these kids this. Look right here in St. Paul, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you want to keep eating, you're going to start working. Now get there and break those leaves up, right? <laughs> and maybe you'll get dinner. You can see that this is, where, this is where a good work ethic is formed. And in fact, this is what has often been viewed as sort of the backbone of what is called the Protestant work ethic in the Western world. This is sort of the source, this is the biblical sort of source for the American Industrial Revolution. And sort of the American development of the free enterprise system and capitalism. Right there in the Bible. Hey, isn't this great? It's right here. Pretty straightforward. You want to eat, you work. There you have it. Done. Close the Bible. Let's go home. We've got work to do. But there's a fine line, isn't there? There is a very fine line between um, advocating hard work, Also, along with that, discouraging laziness and disorderliness and unruliness and selfishness. And also, on the other hand, not being ourselves, giving ourselves an excuse for not helping other people. Yes, we want to encourage industriousness. We want to encourage hard work. But we are not, Paul says, giving ourselves an excuse for not helping others. Notice how the passage ends in verse 13. As for you, brothers, these are the same brothers that are not supposed to give food to people who won't work, right? But as for you, do not grow weary in doing good. Doing good in Greek is one word, in Paul's word. It's good doings, good actions. For you, brothers, don't grow weary in good actions. A little bit of straightforward application here. There are a lot of reasons for poverty in the world, and not all of them are laziness. There are people who are stuck in systemic situations. That it's just generational. That they do not have equal opportunity, and they have struggled. And, and it is incumbent upon us, those of us who have an opportunity to do good, to do good. To keep feeding the poor. Keep clothing the naked. Jesus, He was always, constantly about us this, right? Do not forget the poor. You can read through the Bible page after page after page. It is always about remembering the poor who are among you. If you read through the prophets, do you know why the prophets say over and over again that Israel suffered destruction? One reason was idolatry. One reason was sexual immorality. But the chief reason, the reason they come back to over and over and over again is because they forgot to care for the poor. They trampled on the needs of the poor. Let me tell you, God will not hold us guiltless if we do not remember the poor. And, and so Paul is really, he's really careful here to kind of thread the needle. Christians, work hard. Teach a good hard work ethic to your children. Keep doing this. Keep valuing and affirming work Apply your trade. Engage in the world. Be an example of godliness in the community. Keep doing this. But don't 
Don't forget the needs of the poor. You see, the whole idea of work is that this is what God created us to do. It's, we were working in Genesis. Do you realize that? Before the fall, there is work. Take care of the garden. Take care of the animals. Take care of one another. This is part of the way we were created to be. And if we don't work, we get bored. And you know what bored people do? They create drama where there is none. <laughs> and they go and start it up. And all sorts of trouble comes out of that. And this is what Paul means by not being busy at work, but being a busy body. There's a, there's a great scene in the movie, Bruce Almighty. I know. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't advocate any movie without somebody saying, Oh, but did you know that there's this scene? Of course I know that. I'm not dumb. right? So, but there is a good movie, and, and it's worthwhile uh, to pay attention to. It, it, I don't know, PG or PG-13, so be careful if somebody's 13 or whatever. Uh, but in, in the film... There's this scene where, um, where Bruce, who is really unhappy, he's complaining about everything in his life. He really, he, he just wants to be the anchor man for the, for the Buffalo News Station, you know. And, and so he feels like if only his star would come in, you know. If only, if only his ship would come in. If only his star would, whatever, you know, the, the metaphors. If, if only somebody would recognize him. But everything's going wrong, and, and God's mean to him and cruel to him. And, and so Bruce can't see anything good in his life. He can't see anything good in his beautiful girlfriend, who, by the way, is played by Jennifer Aniston. And some people think she's kind of cute. I, I'm just saying. Um, anyway, he can't see any good in her. He can't see any good in, in, in his job. He can't see anything good in his friends or family or anything else. He just wants to complain. He's upset. He believes God has given him a bad deal. And then he gets to meet God, played by Morgan Freeman, which I think would make a pretty good, you know. Anyway, so Morgan Freeman uh, is playing God, and he, Bruce gets to meet him. And, and, and God is telling Bruce who he is, and, and Bruce doesn't want to believe it. And, and so he's telling silly jokes. And then Morgan Freeman says, to the, says this, uh, God says this to, to Bruce, You always were funny, Bruce, just like your father. He didn't mind rolling up his sleeves either, son. People underestimate the value of good old manual labor. There's freedom in it. Some of the happiest people in the world go home smelling the high heaven at the end of the day. Some of the happiest people in the world go home smelling the high heaven at the end of the day. I think, I think Moses would have said the same thing about the creation of humanity in Genesis. I think Isaiah in the Old Testament lesson today would have said the same thing. And I think St. Paul would have said the very same thing. Sometimes you can find good theology even in the movies. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.